This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships. Welcome to the Intelligence Squared podcast. I'm producer Catherine Hughes. Joining us on this episode is psychologist Daniel Kahneman, who shot to fame in 2002 when he won the Nobel Prize in Economics for his work on the psychology of human judgment and decision making. In 2022, he joined us on the Intelligence Squared stage alongside his co-author, Olivier Siboney, to discuss how businesses and governments can make smarter, swifter and more accurate decisions in our increasingly frenetic world. Our host for this event was journalist and presenter Rishila Shah. Part two and three of this event are available ad-free for subscribers now. And for our listeners who don't subscribe, part two will be available in our next episode. This event took place in June 2022 in Union Chapel, London. Welcome everyone to the Union Chapel and to Intelligence Squared. It is so fabulous to be back with all of you in the hall. The very fact that uh, we're all here tonight is proof enough, isn't it, that we've already made at least one intelligent decision in a chaotic world. But uh, this evening's conversation may reveal that perhaps not all of our decisions are as sound as we'd like to believe. Our confidence in our own expertise may be misplaced and our judgments may be flawed. So without further ado, let me introduce our speakers. Daniel Kahneman probably doesn't need much of an introduction. He's a Nobel Prize winner and the author of the hugely influential international bestseller, Thinking Fast and Slow. And his day job is as Professor of Psychology and Public Affairs at Princeton University. Professor Kahneman is, of course, here to talk about his new book, Noise, A Flaw in Human Judgment. And I'm delighted to say that we're also joined by one of his co-authors, Olivier Siboni, who is Professor of Strategy and Business Policy at HEC Paris. Previously, he was a senior partner at McKinsey, and he's also the author of You're About to Make a Terrible Mistake. Well, I hope we're not about to do that right now. Let's get going then. Noise, Professor Kahneman, basic definitions. What is noise? Well, noise has many meanings, but the noise that we're talking about is judgment noise. And judgment noise is variability that shouldn't exist. It's when 
people make judgments that should be identical because they're about the same subject, but they turn out to be variable. And, and there is a lot of noise. And our statement about this is that wherever there is judgment, there is noise, and there is a lot more than you think. That's really what the book is about. And there is more noise than people expect to see. And how is that different from what we think of as bias? Well, to draw the distinction sharply between noise and bias, we, we have to see what, we have to talk about what judgment is. And the way we think about judgment is we think of judgment as a species of measurement, where the measuring instrument is the human mind. And like other measurements, you deal with a subject, uh, an object, a topic, and you assign that topic a value on a scale. And this is what the kind of judgment that we talk about is. We talk about really judgments about specific topics. Now, in measurement, there is a theory of measurement that is the basic theory that serves all the sciences. And there is, of course, a theory of errors of measurement. So when you measure, you make, take a physical measurement, say, of a line with a very, very fine ruler, and you take repeated measurements of the length of the same line, then what's going to happen is this. You're not going to get the same result every time if the, the ruler is fine enough. Uh, and that variability, that is noise. But there is another kind of error. And this is that every measurement is likely to be an error, an overestimate or an underestimate. And the average error is called bias. And this is really, those are the meanings of bias and noise that we use in discussing judgment. So bias is an average systematic error, and noise is just the variability of judgments, and it's a variability that shouldn't exist. So Olivier, why are we all so much more familiar with the idea of bias? Is it the sort of sexy cousin of noisy? Well, it's sexier, it's more visible. So. A way to think about the definition Danny gave, which is perhaps more visual, is to imagine that you've got a team of shooters shooting at a target. They're all using the same rifle and they're all shooting at the same target. And you look at the target after they all took their shot. And if you see that they all hit the bullseye, you say, great, they're accurate. Now, if you see that they've all hit the same place, but that place is not the bullseye, you immediately say, this calls for an explanation. There must be a reason. There is something wrong with the rifle, or there is something wrong with the target, or somebody moved the target, or maybe the wind is blowing really hard. You immediately look for a cause. That's why bias is sexier, as you say, right? Because bias is something you can explain. You can point the finger at the reason why these people all made the same mistake. If, by contrast, you see your five or six shooters shooting all over the place, you just shrug and say, well, they're not great marksmen, but that doesn't give you an urge to explain. So noise is more random by definition and is less easy to spot when you see it. I'm still curious about why we haven't thought about this more systematically in the way that you do in the book. Is it that in a sense, people in general just have too much confidence in their judgment, in their decision-making? It would be an exaggeration to say that people have not thought about it. People have looked at reliability of judgment for a long time. What 
I think justified writing the noise, uh, writing the book, was, well, the prevalence, the, just the sheer amount of noise. And for that, possibly an example. I'd like to tell the story of how the study began. And, and the study began a number of years ago when I was doing a consulting job at, uh, at an insurance company. And I had the idea of running what we now would call a noise audit, but it's really a fairly standard exercise of constructing problems that were typical underwriting problems, quite realistic, and having multiple underwriters put a dollar value on the same risk. And of course, you wouldn't expect these people to agree. But I asked the executives, if you take two underwriters at random, by how much do you expect them to vary in percentages? And that question, it turns out, has an answer. And without asking, asking you, I think we know uh, what number is in your mind because we have asked that question of a large number of people. And the number is roughly 10%. People think that 10% is a reasonable difference between people. We know that they won't agree perfectly because it's a matter of judgment, and judgment is defined by the possibility of reasonable disagreement, but we expect a limited amount of noise. It turned out that the difference, the, the average difference between two underwriters was 50 percent. Wow. Five times larger than the executives expected. And that is really the reason for writing the book, is that there was so much more noise than people expected. And this came as a complete surprise to their organization. And Olivier soon joined, and we worked together on, on that topic. And it turns out that it's not only in the insurance company, but wherever you look at judgment, you find noise and a lot of it. And there's also a misunderstanding which explains why people have paid less attention to it. The misunderstanding is the, the misconception that it doesn't matter because on average it cancels out. Right? Noise is an error of average zero, essentially. And people tend to say, well, we care about bias because bias is the shared error, but we don't care about noise because on average it cancels out. Of course that's wrong. Right? If you think of the underwriters, if on average they price correctly, but sometimes they price way too low and sometimes it's way too high, well, when it's way too low, the company is going to lose money by paying too much in claims, and when it's way too high, it's going to lose money by losing business to a competitor. So both mistakes are costly, but when we think of noise, we tend to think that, well, average errors, you know, on average errors cancel out. They don't. In, and that's what we wanted to draw attention to. So, so it is about, in a business context, and we can come back to some more examples, but in a business context, there is money at stake, essentially, is yes. what you're saying. It's a financial cost. Oh, absolutely. It's, a mis it's an error. What I actually, the, the notion I, I should have mentioned earlier from the theory of measurement is that in the theory of measurement, noise and bias are equally important. In mm. fact, there is a formula the, ma the mathematics don't matter. But the formula is that a measure of global inaccuracy is the square of the bias plus the square of the noise. And that's just to give you an idea that bias and noise are independent sources of inaccuracy and, in principle, equally important. In practice, we think there is more noise than bias in judgment. 
It has a cost, as you point out, but it's not just about the business cost. Another example which we looked at is justice, criminal justice. And when you give the same cases, this is an old study that was done in the US. We're not aware of it being done anywhere else, including here, but I'm sure the results would be very similar. If you give the same cases, simplified cases, vignettes, to multiple experienced judges, you will find a lot of variability in their judgment. For some of those cases, you will find some judges saying, one year in prison, and others saying, life in prison. For some of these cases, you will find some judges saying 15 years in prison and others saying no prison at all. On average, for a sentence of seven years, you have almost four years of difference between two judges. Again, looking at the same case, we're not talking about individualized sentencing, you know, taking care of the specifics of each situation. That is already in the case. We're talking about different judges looking at the same case. This is not a business cost, but this is a huge problem of fairness. And one of the big consequences of noise is unfairness. But the thing that I found fascinating about that particular example was that it had been recognized in a proper study, mandatory guidelines were put in place, and then they were taken, they, they, there was so much, the judges were so unhappy that they became advisory. It's, it's slightly more complicated. In fact, it was a long battle led by a judge called Frankel in the US and then by Ted Kennedy when he was senator, which led to establishing guidelines that define rather precisely what sentencing should be with some leeway to adjust to the situation and the possibility of going out of the guidelines if you justified it, etc. And then for technical reasons that have nothing to do with what we're discussing here, the Supreme Court turned those guidelines into advisory guidelines and noise crept back in. It's not because the judges were unhappy about them. But the judges were unhappy. But, but they were unhappy. <laughs> and as soon as they could actually regain their discretion, they used it to the full extent that they could. Discussing noise with judges is quite an interesting exercise yes. because <laughs> the, you know, the whole idea is there is, this is a justice system. Justice is being determined, is being meted to defendants. And the idea that there is noise in that system is unacceptable I mean, to, to the extent that I was actually invited to talk to a large group of judges. But what, they, what the organizers asked me to talk about was noise in medicine. <laughs> so uh, noise, the drilling, in, the noise in justice <laughs> is quite, quite complex. But, but actually, noise in medicine, sorry, carry on. But what, what's the noise in medicine? There is a lot of noise in medicine, about as much noise as, as wherever there is judgment, there is noise. And so this is true for diagnosis. This is true for treatment. Uh, in, in some cases, it really is quite shocking. We had uh, a set of data sent to us from Harvard Medical School on the diagnosis of epilepsy from uh, EEG recordings. And the average correlation between two physicians in judging cases is not exactly zero, but not much higher than zero. Oh. And in fact, and negative, I think, if, hmm? if, if I recall correctly. I think it was a small negative hmm. number, no, wasn't it? I, I don't think, I remember it as slightly positive. <laughs> okay. But, in, but very in small either anyway. case, In either case, it was very small. <laughs> 
adding, adding to that view that medicine is an art rather than a science. But so far, I mean, these are decisions that are made repeatedly. So if you go back to the judge or the, uh, the doctor, indeed, they're, they're making similar decisions over and over again. Does it apply to one-off decisions? Can you talk about noise in, in singular decisions? Well, we, we ask ourselves that question because obviously when we measure a noise, when we define noise, we define it as variability between multiple decisions that should be identical. That definition does not apply to a decision that you make only once. Mm. But when we look at the things that cause noise, which we haven't talked about yet, the, the psychological mechanisms behind noise, it's very clear that they're also present when you make one of those one-off, life-or-death, momentous, change-the-world decisions. You know, Brexit or no Brexit. Is there noise in that decision? Well, if you think that it's a judgment that is being made by a human being, there must be, because the same causes that create noise are there. We came to think of those singular decisions, those unique decisions, as repeated decisions that happen only once. Right. If they were repeated, you would actually see that there is noise in them, you can't see it, but that doesn't mean there isn't noise. Mm. So, so let's talk about the causes of noise. I mean, why do three judges facing very similar cases make three different decisions or three doctors looking at the same x-ray come to three different conclusions? Well Sponsoring the show for this episode is Marquee TV. Marquee TV is a streaming service with a difference. It's bringing you the top tier of performing arts straight into your living room or onto your device. So think dance, theatre, music, anything you might find in the West End, Broadway, or maybe a cool little experimental space too, but saving you the cost of a few tickets as well. I've got happily a bit lost in their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. Choreographer Jonathan Watkins' interpretation of George Orwell's classic 1984 was pretty cool, and I love the dance piece, Sutra, inspired by the skills of what is Shaolin monks. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right, three months for only 99 cents. With the code squared, simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code squared to dive into the world of arts like never before. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. The events calendar is filling up here at Intelligence Squared, and to create each one, we obviously rely on some brilliant guests and onstage talent. But behind the scenes, there's also a producer, a production team, and the budget in the mix too. You've got to keep an eye on all of that stuff in one place. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. And you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because it's super easy to get started. NetSuite exists in the cloud, you see, no hardware needed. So you're cutting IT costs too. That's why over 37,000 companies have already made the move. And now by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-the-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash squared. That's netsuite.com slash squared. netsuite.com slash squared. Well, there are several sources of noise. Actually, there are three main sources of noise. And one source of noise is differences, consistent differences between noise in 
between judges in the level of the judgments they make. So some judges will be more severe than others. So on average, their sentences, the sentences of one judge will be higher than the other. This is well known. This is quite recognized. There is another source of noise, which is also not surprising to people. And this is noise within a judge. That is the same judge, a good mood or in a bad mood, as it turns out on a sunny day or a rainy day, on a hot day or a cooler day, will pass, make somewhat different judgments. We call that occasion noise. But then there is a third source of noise, which turns out to be the most important. I would call that, it's a difference almost in personality, if you will, that, and to see it in the decisions in the justice context, if you take two judges and you show them 20 cases, the new type of noise is that they will not order the cases in terms of severity in the same way. So you might have one judge who is particularly shocked by when you know the defendants are young or when the victims are old and, and there are differences in taste. You can have a judge who is strongly affected by someone who is similar to, to a member of their family. And that, is, that would be consistent and we call that pattern noise. And it turns out that pattern noise is the more important, the more interesting and the most difficult kind, type of noise. So pattern noise is not quite like groupthink, is it, where a group works? But does that affect noise as well, then? Group? Well, let's clarify pattern noise first. Okay, go on, but, clarify uh, pattern noise, yes. So pattern noise, and that touches on something that you mentioned earlier, that when people look at the world or at any problem in the world, you have the sense Every one of us has the sense that we see the world the way we do because that's the way it is. So we have the sense that we're in touch with reality. And if the world is as we see it, we expect other reasonable people to see it in the same way. And it turns out that they don't, to an extent that is radically surprising. So what, what we have to take on board here is, is the idea that people are really more different from each other in how they see any problem in the world than any of them would expect. And that's the basic phenomenon of noise. And, and we also have to come to grips with the idea that that's not good news. <laughs> when, when we say, oh, we're all different, we, we're all unique, we're all diverse, we have different views on everything, we usually celebrate that. We say that's beautiful, that's diversity, that's where creativity comes from, that's where innovation comes from. But the thing is, when you go to one doctor and he says you have this, and then you go to another doctor and he says you have that, you don't say, oh, beautiful, creativity, <laughs> innovation, diversity. No, you say one of you guys must be wrong, perhaps both, by the way. So when we think there is a correct answer, which is how we define judgment, that kind of diversity is what we call pattern noise. The fact that people project their own history and their own sensibilities and their own biases on a situation is what creates this pattern noise, and it's not good news. Isn't that what people call human agency? It is what people call projecting their personality into their judgment. And of course, if you expect them to do that, that's beautiful. If you are choosing whom to marry in that way, 
Congratulations, that's how I would strongly recommend you do it. If you're making a hiring decision on behalf of the BBC, we might have a problem. <laughs> so to go back to the, the earlier point then, if you have a meeting and the first person stands up and says, I definitely want to do it this way, I definitely think we should only employ people who wear red t-shirts, and the second person gets up and says, oh, are they more likely to, to make the same decision? How do people affect one another? How does that create noise? Groups tend to create noise in just the, the way that you said, in that when you want to minimize noise or to reduce noise, then you want the judgments of people to be independent of each other. So you would want witnesses to the same crime to discuss their testimony before they give it. And this is precisely what happens in a meeting. In a meeting, people influence each other, and the first person to speak has a disproportionate influence on the others, and that is an element of noise because the first person to speak is not necessarily the best, is not necessarily the most accurate. Are you saying, in a sense, that we're disinclined to disagree? Well, certainly there is a massive amount of conformity that goes on, and this is where, you know, otherwise meetings might go on much longer. But, no. uh, <laughs> and, and as it is, they go on too long. But there is, there is convergence, and there is, in, in that sense, more convergence than we would want. That is, ideally, the ideal form for a meeting would be one in which people, to which people come prepared, each with their own opinion, and you establish the amount of divergence in their opinions, and now you discuss it, and now you try to reach convergence. But the automatic kind of convergence that happens in a debate is actually not a noise reduction mechanism. It's, when it's, we were working on this topic, we interviewed an organizational psychologist who worked with the admissions officers of universities. And he told us the following story. He had come to an admissions office in a large university where admissions officers would read the application essays of applicants and they would grade them and then they would give the essay with the grade to another admissions officer who would make a separate judgment. So our friend recommended, of course, that they should make those judgments independent by hiding the grade given by the first officer from the second officer so that these two judgments could be different. And the answer he got was, oh, that's how we used to do it, but we disagreed so much <laughs> that we adopted the current method. And this is a perfect summary of the trade-off that organizations make between consensus, which they must achieve at some point, and disagreement, which they do have they tend to suppress disagreement as best they can in order to achieve consensus and to be able to make decisions. And what we're saying here is, if you want consensus to be achieved on something closer to the best possible answer, you might want to delay the moment when you achieve that consensus and to make sure that you get independent opinions at the beginning of the process. It's interesting that we're talking about convergence and people wanting to agree when certainly in politics, what we talk about all the time is polarization. <clears throat> We talk about judgments, and we try to avoid judgments of values and differences in values. So the assumption is, when, when you have underwriters or, or judges, they speak for an organization. The organization speaks through individual functionaries. And you want an organization to speak in one voice. 
a noise is a failure, is a cacophony. But when it comes to values or when it comes to politics in a democracy, you certainly want to allow differences and divergence of values, and you certainly don't want to impose noise reduction. Wow, that's interesting. No noise reduction in politics. Mm. Um, so let's just think about some of the things that, that this has thrown up. That convergence, in a sense, hide. Well, it's a way of avoiding the fact that there is noise. Why do you think institutions like educational establishments or businesses are reluctant to confront the idea of noise beyond just wanting to get on and make any decision, whether it's good or bad? Well, I think first they are not aware of the amount of noise that there is. Every time we show the results of a noise audit to an organization or we just share the results of noise audits performed in other organizations, people are very surprised. We could hear the surprise in the room when Danny mentioned the 50% number from the insurance company. This is very surprising. So I think the first and most important answer is they just don't know. And that's partly why we wrote the book, really. In lots of fields, you're getting the use of algorithms uh, to, I think, about actuarial work, which is obviously in the insurance field. You know, humans used to do all the risk calculations, and now a proportion will be done by a computer. But they still, as far as I can tell, ask humans to make the final judgment. Is that because we don't want to hand over that, that well, power? Well, uh, it clearly depends on the topic. I mean, there is a long history, about 70 years, of comparing the judgments of people to formulas and, and more recently to algorithms that are generated by AI. And, and humans do not fare very well in those comparisons. And the main reason for human inferiority is actually noise, because algorithms have, and rules, simple or complex, have the advantage of being noise-free. And that gives them a real leg up when it comes to accuracy. But, but isn't the obvious counterpoint to that that algorithms can make matters worse because they will have inherent in them the biases of, of whoever wrote the code? They will. Although there is no reason why those biases should be worse than the biases of the humans. Again, it depends what the comparison point is. You see, the bias of algorithms is a big topic, right? It's being discussed everywhere, and it should be because it's real. But the biases of algorithms are there because algorithms are trained on data that is the past decisions and the past judgments of humans. So what algorithms are doing is they are the mirror of our own biases. They are not worse. What makes the bias more visible when you actually have an algorithm is two things. First, you can actually run a million decisions into the algorithms and see how many biased decisions there are, which you cannot do with a human being. Second, the algorithm is noise-free, as Danny pointed out. It's very consistent in its biases. So if you train your hiring algorithm and you tell the algorithm, these are all the people who've been promoted in my company, figure out what it takes to be successful in my company, and the algorithm comes back and says, you have to hire men, not women. Is the algorithm sexist? No, you are. <laughs> the reason you hadn't noticed is because you are noisy in your sexism. Even the most sexist recruiter is occasionally going to hire a woman. The algorithm won't do that. The algorithm will say, well, it's pretty clear that here to be successful, you need to be a man. So the, the absence of noise makes the bias more visible, it doesn't actually make it worse. 
It also makes it easier to solve if you want to solve it. You can actually design an algorithm that would be devoid of such biases. So algorithms could make very good decisions. Do we want them to? That's a very different issue. Algorithms are biased. Biased algorithms are poorly constructed algorithms. And typically, the bias enters somewhere in the definition of what it is that you're using as, as a criterion for success. So for example, Amazon uh, tried to develop an algorithm to replicate its hiring decisions. And then that algorithm turned out the way they constructed it, they looked at people who had been hired or who had been rejected, and they looked for the, what distinguished them. And then they found there was a gender bias because people had, in fact, preferred men to women in their hiring. And that went on to the algorithm. That's a flawed criterion. That is, when you want to hire properly, you should not go by the previous hiring decisions. Then you are guaranteed to replicate the bias. But when you do it properly, and then bias is not a necessary feature of algorithm, although, as Olivier pointed out, the biases of algorithms are always going to be more visible because they're going to be more detectable, because they're not masked by noise whereas the biases of humans are very frequently masked by noise. I'm beginning to think that you think expertise is overrated. <laughs> is it a concept we shouldn't even talk about? <laughs> expertise well, in the uh, field. If you want us to say, oh, we've had enough of experts, we're not going to say that. <laughs> uh, no. Thanks for listening to this episode of Intelligence Squad. Part two of this event will be available as our next episode. Subscribers can access all three episodes now. This event was produced by senior producer Connor Boyle. We'd love to hear your feedback and what you think we should talk about next, who we should have on and what our future debates should be. Send us an email or a voice note with your thoughts to podcasts at intelligencequad.com or on Twitter at Intelligence2. And if you'd like to hear more, attend some of our excellent events or peruse over 20 years of our back catalogue featuring some of the world's greatest minds, then head over to intelligencequared.com. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships.